fried chicken, I think, is always disappointing. <sighs> unless unless We're it's like fight. Unless it's like cut thin We're and like country fried, episode. like like almost like a chicken fried steak. No. Yeah. Fried chicken is one of the greatest things that has ever happened to human existence. Not true. Fried chicken in any format, like Chicken Express, KFC, like their type of fried chicken is shit. All right, well, we're just going to fight this episode, I guess. Hello, and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 48. In this episode, we are talking about The Spy Who Came In From the Cold by John LeCar. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy, fellow host Jacob. Yes, hello, and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 48. It is indeed. I'm excited about this episode. This was this was my pick. Yes. This was our, or my, I guess, I'm not going to give you credit for choosing because yeah, I, chose, I just had to pick heads or tails that is true this was this is our attempt at trying to end suffering month part three and i think it was relatively successful in was that it? in that regard was it maybe not maybe there just weren't unintended, children yeah there just weren't that, children involved. maybe some more unintended uh suffering but yes welcome to our little uh our little book club book cult book something or other i don't know why i'm reiterating that but oh, i'm excited this is gonna be an interesting episode for two reasons. One, it's going to be a pretty standard episode. You know, we'll tell you a little <laughs> bit about the author. Uh, I'll give you a brief summary, and then we're going to get into the book. I don't know how long this book is going to take. This was one of the more quick reads, I think, in a sense of yeah, there isn't a whole lot externally to talk about. So we'll we'll figure something out with that, and then of course we'll tell you about what we've got going on uh, afterwards. But two. I'm super excited, not about our next episode. I'm not excited at all about your choice. It's oh. it's, it's awful. It's no, it's, I actually am. That's going to be a cool episode um, because it'll be the first time I've read any Stephen King, so I'm excited for yeah. that. But the episode after, episode 50, I have got something cooked up that's going to be awesome. You can hear me in the background rubbing my hands together like very vigorously. Just, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. I'm not going to announce it yet today. I'm just going to put that teaser out there that episode 50 is going to be something that we have never done before. The choosing of the title for episode 50 is something I've never done before, and I'm really excited to share that. But let's not get too far ahead yeah. of ourselves here. Let's We're still back here. That's the sound of me pulling us back to episode 48. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be this is going to be a fun little chat. I I dig espionage, and so I think there's going to be a good little bit for us to talk about here. Yeah, I agree. And uh, if you haven't read the book, go read the book. It's an easy weekend read. Good good thing to pick up if you're just you know wanting to do something uh, something fun. You want yeah, on a vacation, you got like a trip or something. Yeah. You just want to fill some time. It's a it's it is it's a fun little read like that. Yeah. Or if you don't care, we're probably just going to talk about James Bond and. Spy things and I think that that has corn. to enter the discussion. Yeah, corn. Um, we're gonna the modern sort of depiction of espionage and subterfuge and spy versus spy in general compared maybe to what it is in this book. Because I not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think the depiction in this book is interesting compared yeah. to what you normally kind of consume in other media. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, should we begin with a discussion on John LeCar? Go ahead. That's or this is your John LeCarre. Tell us about John the Le author. Tell us about the author. LeCar. Uh, so it's not even it's not even his real name. 
his he was born David John Moore Cornwall. I'm not sure if we've ever read another uh, another writer that has four actual names. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've done any. I, the, I haven't done any extensive look back into that, but perhaps. Yeah, I don't. I don't know any. So it makes sense that he's got a pen name. Also, I read that that was necessary because at the time he was working for. I don't remember if it was MI5 or MI6. He worked for for both of them, yeah. uh, but they required that uh, if anybody was going to publish, they had to do it under a, a pseudonym. Sure. So that's uh, that's why he did that. But notwithstanding, uh, he was born in 1931, is still with us at 88 years Chugging old. Chugging along. As, as of this recording. Um, had an interesting life, like I mentioned. Um, he uh, he did uh, serve in, in MI5 and MI6. Um, and uh, he's got four kids. Um, he's written a ton of books. This was his third one, um, and uh, and obviously his uh, his most important one. I thought, or I should say, most uh, famous one. Um, I thought that we had talked about uh, the, the they made this into a movie. At they one did point. back in the '60s, and another book of his, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, that they've made yeah. it into a, a movie as well. But yeah, this it was interesting. This was the first. He had previously written. This was the third one in the series. So I didn't realize this going in, like Munt yeah. and all that. They that was in previous books. So this was kind of a continuation, okay. which I'm sure would be beneficial to this book. But probably, yeah. The crazy thing too is, I mean, he's like I said, he's chugging along at 88. He published uh, Legacy of Spies just a few years ago in 2017. I yeah. think he had another book that came out in 2019 too. So kind of a career guy here. Yeah, he's he's been all over the. All over the place. There was another uh, another book of his that they made into a movie, um, The Constant Gardener. Okay. Um, have you? I, I've I know of uh, Tinker Tailor, um, and I know Constant Gardener Constant. is tangentially familiar, but I couldn't tell you about yeah. it. I've never uh, I've never seen um, never seen either of those, but they were fairly recent movies, and uh, I did watch the original trailer um, for uh, the spy for the spy. For the yeah, and. Uh, Boy, it was bad. Like, it was in the sixties. Yeah, I know. I was I was talking to I was talking to somebody about it, and uh, you forget sometimes how much like the musical scores are so important to um, storytelling now. Yeah. Um, in in movies, and that was the point where they just didn't have quite as like as much of a soundtrack, especially in uh, in trailers. Matter of fact, if you go watch the original Star Wars uh, trailer um, that came out, it is so bizarre because there's just sure. not like music, no music tying it all together i yeah. want to say i could be wrong i want to say i thought richard burton won an oscar for uh his portrayal of alec lemas in in i don't know why i was saying that french it's alec lemas but uh i actually watched the movie you did alongside my reading yeah okay. i did well i did audiobook for this one just because i could not find uh, a copy at okay. price books i'm a little disappointed i that, got but, the only one that was at the mothership yeah right now. it feels bad but yeah, it's fine. I did audiobook for it, and then as an accompaniment to that, I said, "Well, I'm going to watch the movie. It's you know only like a little two hour movie, and it followed along pretty honorably to the the story. I mean, basically every movie adaptation of a book ever has to kind of yeah. cut some corners and fill some space and do some things a little differently. But it was a pretty good adaptation. I will give them that. It was interesting. Uh, and then he's uh, he's won a bunch of awards um, for uh, for his writing. Um, I will say that none of them are like, you know, sort of traditional like big book awards. Um, but uh, he's got some like uh, got like a Mystery Writers of America Edgar Award back in the 60s. Um, he has 
a lot of honorary degrees. Um, so he's got uh, degrees, honorary degrees from the University of St. Andrews, University of Southampton, University of Bath, uh, the University of Bern, um, and the University of Oxford, which is, that seems like a, an excessive amount of uh, honorary degrees. Yeah, I never got the whole honorary degree thing. Yeah. I guess it's just uh, a way for universities to kind of... Like claim somebody as an alum? Yeah, 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 and a way to kind of grab that pool to maybe bring them around for speeches or whatnot. Well, we'll give you an honorary degree, and then, you know, whatever, you add that to your LinkedIn page or so. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a big fan of honorary degrees. I've never really cared much about them. No. It's, it's, a, it's a, a strange honor. And, uh, and honestly, like... Not to diminish, not to diminish, you know, I'm sure he... He's, I'm going to diminish it a little very bit. very like, accomplished. Yeah, but, like, it just, it would be kind of embarrassing to, like, just have a degree from a place you never actually went to school. And I don't know, like, if they have to, they must have to have some sort of, like, contribution, right, to, like, the university. Not sure, not sure how, how at all it goes. That's what I think. I've, I, I've always felt that it's kind of that reciprocation of, hey, you come around and maybe you're visible or you give a yeah. speech or you do all this stuff. We'll give you an honorary degree and make a big deal out of it or something like that. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't work in higher ed. So I'm not, I'm not privy to those back door, back room, back door, back room negotiations. Yeah. We should, uh, that's homework. We'll figure out how we can get honorary degrees. Let's do it. All right. Give me a summary. Uh, wow. All right. I hadn't prepared. Don't, one. And you can't say that the spy just came in from the cold. The Spy Who Came In From The Cold by John LeCar is a movie about a spy who came in to the thing during the Cold War. Now, okay. so it follows our uh, our uh, espionage, our, I guess he's the director of sort of uh, espionage at the West Berlin office yeah. for uh, British intelligence. And it's basically his adventures sort of undercover as a defector trying to uh, frame someone within the the, yes. the East German intelligence community, but it isn't quite all it's it seems to be. We get a little twist and turn there at the end that we'll, I'm sure, talk about oh, yeah. here in a sec. So, yeah, the spy who came in from the cold. First did, thing. Did he come in from the cold? Did he come in from the cold? No, no. Uh, it was a ruse. I feel he yes. was. He was always in the cold. I, the 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 idea of him coming back or coming in from that was simply to create the the image of him being a a good target for defection for yeah. the the opposition uh, intelligence agency. Yeah. Uh, so how do you feel about that then? I mean, what what would this book have been like if it was actually the spy who came in from the cold? It's just all right. I'm done. I'm done with espionage, and he just goes and becomes a farmer, and um, he's, he has to get who he has to like run hooligans off the land and help the the locals because it's like we're we're so we we just we can't we need you to we need you to come in and help us with our land. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't have been as interesting if no, he truly came in from the cold. Yeah, I mean, depending on like at what point you know, it all would have occurred, right? Like, if the mission had been successful for him, yeah. Uh, then 
yeah, I don't know. Like, you always kind of want, like, stories, like, action things like this to end on a positive note for... Do uh, you? I don't know. I kind of... I you actually, want the good guys to I win. liked the ending of this. Really? Let's jump right to it. Uh, I feel like there's some contention about maybe the last the last twist into the ending here. Okay. So let me just summarize for anybody who maybe hasn't gotten to the end yet. Spoilers. He gets fucking shot and dies at the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah, he gets killed. Liz gets killed. Basically, he finds out that um, British intelligence had used him in an effort to try and convince them that Munt was a double agent. That's what he thought his mission was. Right. Um, it turns out Munt actually is a double agent, and his real mission there was to be as basically a pawn to uh, frame Munt's secondhand man. Yeah. Uh, Fielder. Fiedler. Fiedler. Yeah, Fiedler. That's right. And... Um, you know, as they use him and his girlfriend, Liz, and, you know, in the end, to kind of tie up loose ends, they take out Liz, and uh, Lemus is given a choice to basically defect back to the West with the agency that basically just used him as a pawn and killed the woman that he had been with, and or get killed, and he decides to climb back down the wall on the East German side, get shot, end the story. Yeah. And Smiley calling from him on the on the the West German side. I don't know. I thought the ending was appropriate for the tone of the book. Uh, I agree. I don't yeah. think it was a very satisfying ending. No, not at all. I think Lemus was a pretty good character. I think you were somewhat invested in him as a as a person. Yes. Um, I definitely think now, having read the book, it would have helped probably to read the two before to get a little bit more background on Smiley and Munt, because yeah, you're just yeah. sort of presented, not that it takes away, you understand the motivations that are going on here, right. but you don't really get background on these characters, and they're kind of presented as like, oh, these are guys that did stuff, and you yeah. don't, you're not really privy to that because you didn't read the, the first two novels, but it's explained well enough, kind of Munt's brief background um, with his time in, in Britain and being let go and then right, right. everything when Fiedler is kind of going through and piecing all the, the, the pieces together to figure this out. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I found the ending like really kind of unsatisfying from, from the perspective, like you watch a James Bond movie, sure. like James Bond always, you know, gets away and that's, and, like, that's the thing gets it sorted, you know, that's the thing is I, that to me diminishes and I, I understand the way that it's set up a serialized story that follows a character. There's really nothing at stake for our character, right? There's sure. things at stake kind of for tangential pieces and you see it all throughout James Bond, you know, yeah. basically yep. the woman he falls in love with every movie, they get killed. Someone in the agency gets killed, right? Someone right. close to him gets killed, but then he always prevails and then he goes off to some island and uh, he goes to Bali and drinks and then they pull him out. Oh, we got to yeah. get you back in James <laughs> three years later and you, you got a bad shoulder and you can't shoot anymore, but we'll get you out there on the case or something. I understand how it is there is that sort of rewarding element to good triumphing over evil, but to me it just it completely diminishes the the gravity of the situation when you know that your character that you're with is safe. And that's what I felt kind of throughout this whole book that yeah. Lemus was pretty deftly maneuvering everything. Like he was a very skilled uh individual at kind of playing the part that he's supposed to be playing and maneuvering right, and right. Then we kind of get to the end where he's sort of like caught completely unaware when they bring Liz in and all these other things. And, yep. you know, he, he even maneuvers that kind of, uh, that part when he pieces it together and understands, okay, they were playing me. They couldn't tell me how right, they really right. were to do it because they needed me to genuinely act in a certain way. Um, 
and yeah, for him to sort of get to that realization, you know, at the end where he can continue on with this kind of existence where he can continue to sort of fulfill his duties as he as he chooses or to choose to just take a bullet. He he does. And I feel like that's a really I feel like that is appropriate for his character that we had seen up until that point. And I yeah. think it really is one of those it's it to me it was a satisfying ending because of that. Because we didn't get a cop out like Oh, now he's gonna he's gonna chase Munt down for killing the woman that he loves in the next book. Sure, you know, sure, it's, sure. To me, it's that's kind of like I can understand the appeal, and I've always been like again, not to not to be heretical or anything. I've always been a James Bond like I've been pretty lukewarm about James Bond. Like okay. I think they're interesting movies and interesting stories, but I don't find them particularly great or like high you know like oh man this is a this this story is amazing they're they feel more just like indulgent than anything else with all the gadgets and all the womanizing and all this other stuff whereas you had a story like this that is very centered around the the nature of espionage and i enjoyed that yeah i mean i think the the ending does serve to to sort of draw the story then out of you know just the specific character uh-huh. and have that larger conversation around like everybody is expendable. Um, you know, obviously Munt murdered people when he went sure. to London, and there's or, no way that they didn't allow that to happen. Yeah, or even just kind of the 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 nature of oh well, we're the good guys and we kind of have like the good goals in mind, but right. the things that we do in trying to achieve our goals are the same as our enemies because right. if we don't, we will not succeed. And so yep. you kind of get that. Ugh, grimy feeling like at the end you're not very happy with British intelligence no. at the end of this book. No. And so I I kind of disagree with you about the about the character of uh, of, of Lemus because okay. I I found him shallow and unsophisticated. Fair. Like um he was less intriguing to me than like even even like a, a James Bond or like you know Jason Bourne type you know character yeah. where there is some underlying like motivation. So like a lot of times with with Bond, it's, you know, a, a sense of duty. Right. Or uh, something has happened. He's been slighted. Right. Um, he's he's avenging somebody's. Yeah. Like there there are sort of like there's a moral code that he he operates under. Uh, like, you know, Jason Bourne wants to get down to like, you know, information and dismantle like, you know, terrible organizations that, you know, he was he was a part of or were imposed upon him, you know, for the things sure. that he went through. So, like, when you look at spies, like, there's, in, in you know, books and, and movies, like, there's always some sort of, like, motivating factor. And maybe this is just part of reading only the third book in this entire thing. Yeah. Um, that I never got the impression that that he had any sort of, like, motivation. He just felt like somebody that was there to move the plot forward despite himself. I mean, it, it does take a little bit of a leap in faith because, again, you're not given this huge background leading up. The very first thing we get is he's waiting for one of his double agents who's defecting back after right. being made. Yep, Guy gets killed. It's his last agent. So he's basically ran this West German office for British double agents. They've all been killed. They've all been killed by Munt. And, you know, you kind of get this, this idea that it's, you know, he and somewhat... It feels sort of responsible. He feels kind of like that weight of like, I have to get this guy. He's I've the, all these people have been put in harm's way. We've been yep. doing all this. And so I feel like that to me was kind of enough motivation. And then the, the betrayal at the end, when you realize that he's a British asset, that he, right, right. he killed these guys, that he did all of this. 
um, basically at the behest of the British intelligence agencies that were that were telling Lemus, you know, to, to run these guys to do these sorts of things. And I definitely understand that sort of that arc at the end, why he chooses. He's like, I'm not going to return to this this system. Yeah, because it's it's completely just, you know, he, he says throughout the book, he's not a guy. He doesn't believe in God. He's not a guy that really believes in anything. He's very much just kind of. You know, he he just does his job, right. right? He's he's not particularly passionate about anything, which is which can be tough to to sort of be like, oh, let me latch onto this character. What does right. he believe in? I don't believe in anything. Um, so yeah, that I mean, I I understand how that can be a lot more difficult than than having someone with a very clear cut motivation like a Bond, right. like a Jack Reacher, like a like a yeah. Jason Bourne type guys. Those guys where it's like, you know, I have this specific duty. I have this specific incident that happened with these people. You know. But even like, um, even like when they took him to, they took him to Holland first, I yeah. think, and then to question him before he was made wanted by yeah, the, the I'm, Brits. I'm trying to think if uh, if that was when he had it, but th- there was one point where uh, he was he was watching somebody like feed birds, and you know he was like, oh, this is like the little moment that like you know I miss, and like you know he sort of had that moment of revelation that he cared about Liz, and it was just like. I, I didn't find any of that believable because, like, he was so emotionless, and it it was not apparently just an act toward her. Like when he was, you know, living his civilian, you know, cover life, sort of getting yeah. getting ready to defect. Um, so like, I I just I don't know. I felt so uninterested in everything about this guy that I was just like, even when he got shot at the end, I was sure. just mad. I was like, all right, yeah. so. They killed him. Everybody and, dies. And also, I don't care. Yeah. And like, ugh. I will say, yeah, the the whole his ties with Liz, like, obviously, to me, it felt like Liz was more of a, well, in order to facilitate this sort of twist at the end, yeah. he has to have some connection with somebody else that they bring in that they can exploit or they use. And then kind of the character of Liz was built around that. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt that was made. And so that connection with them was definitely the weakest part for me of his character, which is, which is tough because that it's so, you know, his final decisions and a lot of that stuff hinges on kind of how he felt about her. And that is weak. I'm I'm not saying he's without fault. I'm saying I was intrigued mostly with the kind of dynamic of his character throughout the book. I don't think that we got a whole lot of like backstory and just, we didn't get a whole lot of, of sort of shifting emotions. We didn't really get character development no, in I've, a traditional sense. He was very much the same as he, he was at the beginning as he was at the end for the most part. But I think that that's pretty common in this type of sphere where you have sort of a, granted he's not a serialized character, yeah. but when you have this sort of agent uh, extraordinaire, you know, that's kind of, you don't, you see like little sort of, rises and falls but yeah. they are basically who they are throughout the course of you know each story and that kind of changes but yeah that, i didn't necessarily go in expecting him at the end to just be like i'm a communist now or i've changed in some no. other way or i was betrayed by my government and all these other, you know i didn't expect any sort of big revelation from him i didn't expect him to just eat a bullet no but you, but you also expect characters to to have flaws to have doubts to have fears and he never exhibited any of those, right? Sure. Like there was just the cold mechanical, um, like methodology, but not even in like the sense of like, you know, Jason Bourne, for instance, sure. like where he just 
murders everybody because he's been trained that way and it's and he knows how to like operate in a certain way because that's his training. Yeah. Like with Lemus, it's it's just it's just sort of this cold, like nonsensical, like lack of character development. And I would actually argue that he's one of the worst developed characters of any any book that we've ever read. Okay. Um I, I really I really think that like he just he's there to move the plot line along, but the yeah. plot never really centers around him as a person, right? Like, what what would be the harm in um in having him like open up to Liz, right? Or having like at least himself like doubt whether or not you know he he should be caring about her. Like, I know that there was a little bit of conflict when they were having dinner and all that kind of stuff, yeah. but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to play play any of that any of that up and then liz also was just was also a flat character she was like, just yeah she yeah. was just filled space yeah she was the just... most appalling thing about her was um when she was taking care of him and uh there was the comment about like she realized that she should be like cooking and picking up the house and i'm like that was yeah what kind of 1960s tropes sure sure i mean yeah the thing about liz was she was very much written not as an actual human being. It was yeah. kind of just like she, because that, that was the thing, her motivations, it's like, oh man, this guy's down on his luck and seeming right. to be an alcoholic and not a very, you know, kind or gentle, it's like, oh, I have to, I have to be the person for him. I have to go and bail him out of jail after, yeah. you know, beating up this guy. It's, it's, and, uh, yeah, and then Munt was was kind of just this this faceless like menace, right? Yeah. Like we don't really understand too much about him as a person until Fiedler starts, you know, I mean, expounding on some. Yeah, of this honestly, stuff. the the craziest thing is I feel like Fiedler is the most hundred percent. He's the most fleshed out character in this, in a sense of yep. actual development and actual, and you know that is that does complicate things a little bit because it's kind of he's the initial. You know, he's our mark, right? He's right, not this right. person that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be kind of in the Lemus camp and right but then by the end you're really kind of like feeling for fiedler right because he gets beat up by a nazi he's he's a jew which makes him a you know sympathetic character in a cold war like east germany you know sense of things um i mean good god man like yeah the only person that had any sort of semblance of character development was was him like in the in the larger scheme of things yeah so that was i i found that pretty pretty frustrating you know overall I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't react to that more you're the character guy here i am i don't know I, it was maybe just i was so i don't know i kept reading this book because you know we kind of get on this path and it's it's very laid out kind of how things are going to happen because they tell you what they want him to do you yeah know, drop these breadcrumbs get fiedler to do this you know we'll figure this out operation rolling stone and then things will kind of work and so you're kind of you're more as you're reading this book. You're more just sort of engrossed in like, okay, the process of this happening right, and right. and this turning in his mind, and more Fiedler kind of putting the pieces together. And then at the end, whenever we kind of get the culmination of everything, you're kind of just like, oh wait, oh, all right, um, oh shit, like I, yeah. I felt like I enjoyed kind of the surface level character of of Lemus in a sense of just I don't know I like the the sort of like espionage kind of undercurrent of it but I I you do make good points you I, I can agree in a sense that he was very lacking in a lot of departments that traditionally sure. would, you would want in a character but I think that didn't detract so much from me because he was our protagonist in a sense that he like you said I mean he was there to move the story along right and that worked well enough for me that I didn't really necessarily find myself going, 
well, why? What is he? Well, yeah, this yeah. to me the motivation of well, this guy got all of his agents that he led in the field office killed, so he has sort of this duty to see him dismantled. Yeah. Okay, so let's kind of maybe knock this up a level to like kind of talk about this genre of of sort of like I espionage. Guess, well, just fiction. like sort of mass market like action novel, you know, kind of thing. Because there's there's tons of these out there, right? Uh, I grew up reading uh, Clive Cussler, like all, I, I think I've read up until probably the last like 10 years, I, I read every single book in order in the Clive Cussler, like Dirt yeah. Pit series. Um, you know, you've got the Dan Browns of the world and uh, who else writes action stuff? Um, like spy Clancy, stuff. I guess Clancy, Clancy is a great example. Yeah. would fall under no, this. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's exactly the kind of stuff. Who writes Jack Reacher? Lee Childs, Lee Childs. Is, is another, is another example, but so you have you have this whole like genre of like action novels, right? Yeah. And serialized, most of them serialized. Yep. And so, does it all spawn from from Bond? No, I, I don't think like or at least, I don't think Albert Broccoli exactly like started that whole thing. But I mean, there's there's definitely but Bond certainly popularized it for sure. And that was yeah, that was probably and and honestly, the car probably had a had a hand in driving even some of that. Um, well, the, the movie like franchise. Sure, forward. it seems it seems to me like the car is kind of the the more whereas Bond is more centered on kind of the action and right the right the the sort of extravagance of this you know do it all kind of spy competent whereas Lacar seemed to kind of inject the whole like well this is actually due to his experience I'm sure at MI5 and MI6 right. more of a grounded like this is the reality of the situation yeah this is how uh an infrastructure operates and how people can kind of get caught up in the thresher of yep. that which is interesting so my 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 point with with bringing up all all those other ones is that you know I think that despite you know my objections with you know character development and and that sort of thing is that sometimes books are just written to have fun. Sure. Right? And this this certainly falls squarely in that category. Um, even if he tries to inter- interject some of the some of the other sort of morality things around around espionage and, and politics. Yeah. Um, th- at the end of the day, this is this is supposed to be a book that's supposed to be fun. Right. Like not everything can be highly intellectual, highly developed, you know. Sure. Kind of kind of stuff. Same thing as movies can't, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes, sometimes it's nice to sit back and just like you know take something that's be a K-man reader, man. Exactly. And I, I mean that was frankly part of part of our, or I assume part of your decision to include this in there, just as a sort of something, a palate cleanser. I, yeah, I, I definitely thought this book was going to be something that was we would read. We wouldn't necessarily ruminate too heavily on whatever themes that we could pull from here. Would be a nice little nuggets of addition, but I was just looking for uh, a competently written espionage novel yeah. taking place in the Cold War. So other than like the uh the general like character and plot things, did you you have any feeling about the way he wrote the book? Uh I don't, but I feel like you do. No, I th- I thought it was fine. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I mean I there was nothing at no point was I ever kind of like pulled out of the story, which yeah. I guess is probably the best compliment you can give to a writer. That their writing was almost invisible yeah, to the story. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't something sometimes, you know, creative styles can can be a benefit and you notice them, you go, Wow, this is awesome. I'm just yeah. the way that these twisting these words and it's just it's upping my my and like my my enjoyment here. But yeah. so many times it detracts and I hate writing that is not invisible. Yeah. I love I love just 
writing kind of like fades and you get the story. And I got that with this. Like it was very competently done. Yeah, that's that's the best way to say it. And I think the other thing that is important to realize is like this is things things have also evolved greatly since the 1960s. Absolutely. As, as far as like, you know, just reader expectations like. You know, you do you do go pick up a novel today in the in the same sort of vein, and it's going to be much more complex and and developed. Certainly, more like character centered. Yeah. And, but instead I mean, of one twist, there's eighteen. Yeah. Because it's like, oh well, there's a twist, so of course there's going to be a twist. There's got to be a twist to the twist with a twist. Right. And then you know, I mean, we've read we've read Hemingway, right? Yeah. You, you go back and and you read some of that, and what uh like the machismo and and all of those sure. themes that that get pumped into you know that sort of 1920s to probably 70s 80s 70s yeah like you know then those you, those are not as cool anymore so you go back and you you read some of those things and you're like oh that's not impressive like, yeah now now it's all about you know actual human characterization yeah. and vulnerability and how that sort of plays into their mannerisms versus like well he's just competent he's just the best at what he does yeah and you'll just have to take our word for it and we'll just illustrate him doing all that exactly it's very reminiscent of uh the big sleep it yes it felt it felt kind of similar to that only better it was sure the story was better and i think the overall kind of narrative like it was it was definitely a more enjoyable story for me but yeah very reminiscent of that kind of dynamic of agent to everyone else Primarily Liz. God, Liz was just not well written in this book. No, man. but I mean that's uh, okay. So do you ever do you ever go on the uh, or have you ever seen the subreddit uh, men writing women? I've heard of it tangentially. Oh God, man, it's it's popped up a few times on the popular page, and uh, I just on on one hand that subreddit usually has airs some pretty decent grievance grievances against you know some some yeah. the way that men tend to write women. Uh, but also, like, people need to understand that, like, you know, 50 years removed or 60 years removed from something, like, you're not really that smart if you're pointing out, like, how bad, you know, things have... You're kind of just piling yeah. on for internet upvotes yeah, at that point. But, but it's like, really, was the social dynamic and sort of human experience a different half a century ago? Of course it was. Yeah. Let's Let's... You know, let's have let's have another subreddit as like Caucasians writing minorities from eighty years ago. I mean, yeah. you're gonna get the same sort of awful characterization. I, I am or just sure that mischaracterization. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, it made me think. It's of, just piling on. Yeah, like it, we get it. Yeah, it, there's it, yeah. there's there's some examples of of people kind of getting it right, and there's a lot of examples of people just kind of getting it wrong. Yep. And thankfully, uh, thankfully, it's we've we've pulled back from that a great deal yeah presently but i that that scene with liz that i mentioned earlier just made me think of that that subreddit and i was just like like on one hand it like i said i get it like not not always tastefully or respectably done but at the same time like you're just beating a dead horse was another book that was uh was it on the beach on the beach on the beach was yeah another one yeah uh poorly written very two-dimensional stereotypical women characters i forgot well no there was one the our main girl i completely forgot the names that book is kind of out of my tangent what the not the wife the the one that was kind of helping our our protect or i do not remember the character drove to the hill at the end yeah yeah yeah. she was she was surprisingly well done the i know the wife of one of our the the wife of the of the the, uh yeah of the navy guy was was rough well did this make you in any way i know 
espionage is always, it's kind of that double-edged sword, right? Because it's intriguing in a sense of just the things that, that governments and government agencies do to kind of protect themselves, protect yeah. their assets, to sort of identify potential threats in other agencies or groups or people or anything like that. It's it's fascinating, but it always is really, really disheartening <laughs> when you kind of realize the extent of um, just not even moral ambiguity, just immorality, basically yeah. universally executed on either side um, that you would be foolish to think didn't exist in a great deal or capacity today. I mean, obviously, sure. we're yeah. aware that there is still espionage and for the remaining existence of human society and you know i i would i would dare say even if somehow we were all unified under one banner we would still have espionage agencies to right right ensure that things remained that way it's it's just it's very disheartening whenever you actually take a look at the um the links that that governments go to to protect themselves or to protect their assets or to stop perceived rogue assets or yeah i mean countries. it is it is frightening like i mean even when we had uh uh snowden and all his his stuff that yeah, came the out NSA a few years data ago leaks. Yeah. yeah i mean that that stuff is is alarming you know the lengths that a government is willing to go um i read um i read a story i wish i could remember it now um but the cia um set up like a front company um to sell like encryption um like hardware back in the during the cold war era mm-hmm. and they sold this encryption hardware um to like allies to to all sorts of people across the globe and they like backdoored the encryption um so they could easily decode everything that everybody was saying and it this ran up until i think i, I think it was the 1980s or or early 90s or something yeah um and so they were like spying on everybody um because everybody kept buying this this stuff matter of fact the the article i think it was on the bbc um website that i i was reading about this within the last few weeks the the building that they used as a front company is is still there mm. um but it's just it's fascinating the the lengths that will go to to just gather information, right? yeah, just bulk collection. I mean, that was the thing with the NSA too, is that it's there's it's just a universal kind of bulk collection. Like there are some things that they have sort of specific programs targeted, sure, sure. but in general, in mass, it's just bulk data collection because at some point it might be useful, and right. they need to have it for whatever reason for that. And and at the end of the day, like the the question is like does how much does it matter to like you or me right like we're not we're not engaged in any nefarious activities that you know of. so like well i mean yeah you might we've, we've I, always that, joked that you might that be, i know we, of. that you might be a spy yeah maybe yeah uh so but like seriously i i kind of don't care if if you know our government at least has has you know whatever data that i send like you know it, i mean i don't want them to have it by any means but like at the end of the day, like it's not going to affect my life if I don't know about it. Now, if we're, we're in like an authoritarian state where you know you can't speak out against the government and they're looking at text messages and say like, "Well, Ryan tweeted about Donald Trump today. Let's go take him off to prison." Like, uh, send him in. Yeah, I mean, then then that's that's one thing. But like, it's kind of like the. Do you want to know about all the bad things if it keeps you safe, right? Like, and not that it does, but I'm just saying like generally like does i believe hopefully i don't get my quote e wrong i believe it was ben franklin who said those who uh those who seek security over freedom deserve neither ryan 
I don't know. I I'm I'm always uh, I'm very much opposed to um a bulk invasion of privacy, a bulk, you know, unconstitutional some would even think invasion of privacy for the sake of well, you know, in the future this could prevent XYZ from happening. Yeah. It's it's a safety thing. I I just I I don't know. I think that any time that you have these sort of tools in place to be able to control and decipher and and do all of these things, it doesn't matter who's in power or what sort of system you have in place now, you can always see things end up into the wrong hands, into sure, the worst sure. case scenario. And at that point, it's too late because you were complacent when it was for your benefit or for your security. Right, or, right. You know, uh, so I, it's it's a very complicated thing because we live in such an age now where it's so easy. It's so easy. We're so interconnected. We have a device yeah. that basically tracks our location, even if it's, even when we have it off, even if we turn on lo- turn off location services, it doesn't matter. They know yeah. where your phone is because your phone connects to cell towers. It has right. a unique identification number that's only your phone. Um, the cell towers can triangulate exactly where you used it at certain points. Like it's, it's, it's crazy that our lives have become so reliant on these things that, that make us so vulnerable to, um, that type of spying. Sure. And yet, you know, it's, you almost feel kind of, uh, defeated because it's like, well, what can I do? Right. You know, yeah. what can you do? And that's, that's kind of the, the weird point. It's, you know, you would think that you would be able to, um, influence, uh, elections or you would be able to get people into place to, to change these sorts of things. But influence the rea- elections, you say. Yeah. But the, the reality, I've, I've never heard this mentioned. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell but me the, more. no, the reality, well, not influence, but you know what I mean? At least like, um, you know, you could work together to get people sure. into places to, you know, help prevent this or stop this, but kind of the, the infrastructure, it's crazy. I feel like anytime we hear something bad about the government or something bad about espionage acts or anything that's taking place we're already like 10 years too late like yeah. we're already 10 years behind the the processes by which these things can kind of i mean yeah be overdone it's you already have such entrenched infrastructure and, and personnel that you it's it's so hard to imagine uh and you know a population to be able to change that without doing something radical not that i right you know not that I'm pro violent revolt uprising. I live a very comfortable life. I love my life. Uh, I love the the life that I've been afforded, and I'm very thankful that I live in the U.S. despite all of its you know flaws and what happened. Yeah, but I mean, there's even like the you know questions about like you know torture. We had like the stuff at Guantanamo Bay and all sure. the CIA black sites, right? That that came up after after nine eleven, like. You know, is 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 torture a valid means to an end? And we're starting to see like some of those things like go through the court system. Like now, like uh, I I don't know um, I don't know if it's been decided yet, but one of the cases uh, for for one of the like ISIS de- uh, or Al Qaeda detainees basically could throw out like all of the all of the testimony that was provided um, through like torture at these black sites because that act of torturing people was was in fact illegal. So it, to your point, like. You know, once these things start start go like getting getting you know implanted in society, it takes us a long time to like realize the consequences of those out. things. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and yeah, we're already we're already far too late. Those well, especially things have already been yeah, especially down. when it's things that are unchecked, that are simply that you know that don't go through the normal process that you would see for lawmaking or right. for you know 
getting a public mandate or having, you know, kind of people elect officials to put these things into place. It's done by these sort of organizations and agencies that are immune from that type of sort of scrutiny or that type of uh, oversight. Yeah. At least, you know, obviously there's oversight, but it's it's done so seemingly internal it's it's kind of like the you have the people running the ship are the ones that are checking to make sure that they're running right and so you kind of are just left with this whole feeling of well i hope uh, you know they don't come get me and take me off to whatever our version of a gulag is you know 20 years down the road if we get to some sort of authoritarian state I mean, it's it's Ugh. it's fascinating to think about like the that sort of subculture. And in in my version of the book, um, Lacar has a has a um, foreword where he was kind of talking about the process that he had to go through because he, like I said, he was still working at the at the agency. Yeah, I mean, this came out in sixty five, sixty four, sixty three, something like that. He had to he had to vet um, the book through um, through his superiors and all that kind of stuff, and he, like he had to have the pen name and all that, and. Uh, <laughs> he made a comment, something to the effect of like, uh, I think they allowed me to publish this because it was so outlandish, you, you know, outlandishly far away from uh, anything that I would have had, you know, any sort of uh, interaction. Yeah, yeah, that it was it wasn't a thing. Um, but you've you've got to imagine that, like, certainly like human intelligence um, and, you know, just the, the general spy thing is still very much a thing. Right. Absolutely. Um, my guess is it's it's probably more now in the realm of like technology and business and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, which you, you don't really hear about that that often. Um, I actually can't corporate th- espionage. Yeah. But but I mean, like j- there's so much of like our technology that now is developed in the private sector yeah. and then moves to the to the government sector. Um, unless they are able to head that technology off before you know it ever evolves past that yeah. point, but um, you you have to think that like a lot of that now takes place in you know the, the everyday lives, probably much more mundane. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's a fascinating or, subject. Or you have technology that's developed in the public sector to reinforce techniques and technology that have been developed. Sure. And, I mean that's that seems to be a more palpable. And and reasonable, reasonable and realistic thing for me to sort of think as well. Yeah, yeah. Smartphones, you know, it's it, it's not that smartphones were this great invention, and then the the government basically found a way to have this sort of system of collecting all this data and bulk collecting and having this this access to it. It's kind of like, well, what if instead of you know normal phones, they all of their all of their internet traffic, all of their you know activity, their potential communications, their location, all this stuff, instead of having to do four different devices, right? Because a computer, you know, it's a little bit harder to kind sure. of track a location for that. You can do a lot of things to sort of obfuscate that or to be detached from that. It's right. not something that necessarily you're personal on. What if we had a device instead that just did all of that and they carried it on them at all times? I mean, like yeah. that to me seems like a really good reinforcement to it. And again, smartphones are great. I love I love my phone. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do, you know, going back to a flip phone, but Jesus, I mean, it's just, it's really, you know, maybe this is suffering part three because it gets you thinking about these things and you just, not that, not that again, our lives are suffering <laughs> by any, no. by any comparison of the last few books that we've read, but if you think about the the sort of universal nature of this whole just the idea of of espionage of control of of information gathering of of this sort of chess game of trying to outmaneuver potential opponents or potential even people within your own kind of populace and it's it's 
It's a little sad. It is. It is a little sad, but it also makes for really good books. And makes really, for good books and good really movies. Good, really good movies. Yeah. So there's or you, TV shows. Yeah, we can't can't complain about that. It is intriguing. I mean, uh, there is something intriguing about someone, you know, pretending or someone trying to infiltrate uh, some other CD, you know, yeah, Hans Gruber type organization <laughs> or whatever, you know, and just and. Coming out on top, Johnny USA figured it out, and he he got the Ruskies. You know, he yeah he did a number on them. Well, I'm interested. Uh, so the new James Bond movie comes out in April, yeah, and it's called No Time to Die, and we know it's Daniel Craig's last movie. So I wonder if they will kill him at the end. Kill Bond and then kill Bond. Either and then there's retcon it, retcon it with some new Bond, or or do some you know completely different person to fill the Bond. I don't know. I feel like that would. I mean, if they're gonna kill Bond, I think they should just kill him and be done with it, and I, and I, and do something. My my thing is, I like I understand the big push that yeah. they've had a lot for. Like I get it for for more diversity in these type of films. Yep. Um, but I think that the wrong move, and I think for them, not just, not even just from like a storytelling or like an ethical standpoint, I think just from like a financial standpoint for the people that would be making these sorts of things, yeah. I think the wrong move would be to kill Bond and then try to like replace it with something. Agreed. I think they should just, I think, you know, it's been what, 50 years now, James Bond yeah. movies, kill him, kill him, give him a fitting end and do something different. Yeah. I'd I'd watch like a spinoff on like Q Branch where sure, it's just do something like, different. How how do how do they get all this this stuff into an Aston Martin? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, or like you know, M has a stressful job. Like, what's what's that like? Because here's here's my thing too, man. Uh, and it's unique to Bond because some of the others, you know, like Bourne and Reacher, they're they're relatively new. Yeah, you know, they have some stories to be relatively told, and they're they have a more a more modern like plot hook or plot right, point that, right. that brings him in. Bond is very much sort of sandbagged by the fact that he's been a character for, you know, in movies yep. since the sixties. So right. it's kind of like, Oh, we can tinker with his emotions and stuff. But if we deviate too far from like who he's already been established through five right. decades of film, then you're just, you're not making that character anymore. It's just right, a right. name that you're throwing on there. So I don't know. I think it would be, it would be a good idea for them, you know, what more can he do? Like what yeah. more, what more, you know, earth, you know, can they unearth and, and, and reinvent the wheel in, right. in James Bond. Right. Like, well, it's, and the other thing that's, that's weird about it is that like he has gone, he has spanned 50 years and like what, seven different actors at this point. And they never address like, like time, time continuity or like character continuity out of, except for like every character has like you said the same sort of basic construct sure um that they go with but like logically and there's I, there's no way this is the same character like traversing right. time well and, and yeah obviously i mean with each new character they kind of have to do a soft reboot or right, a relatively right. hard reboot like they did with craig um in casino royale yeah. i mean that was basically kind of like all right we're gonna do like a soft as hard of a soft reboot as we can to this right. series um but it's just I feel like it's so oversaturated at this point. If you did something similar like that, where it's it's James Bond, a different yeah. version of him. He's he's like the Doctor from Doctor Who. It's just a, it's a different guy. Don't worry about the other guy. Yeah. He did his thing, and now it's this. But nobody I, asks questions. Every time there's a new Bond, it's just like, oh, we're just gonna get a new a new set of Bond movies with a new actor. Because yeah, yeah. you know, you have now three, four generations now, I guess, that have had, you know, their own kind of yeah. bonds. And um, 
it's yeah i just think it's it's one of those genres that it gets a little tiresome when you're constantly doing kind of like that soft reboot. Yeah. Like it works really well. Like for example, the Bourne films, I even think they suffered from this when they did the recast yeah, and kind yeah. of the soft reboot thing. Three, four films, you can typically flesh out an arc for a character. True. And I know it's very appealing, the draw to just like, oh, we got to turn this baby out, make more money on more yep. money on more money, keep this train gravy train rolling. But at some point, it's like you you're not even you're not even doing things that are so complex that you can't do with a different character. You're literally just skating by on namesake alone. So there you go. Sorry, all the James Bond lovers and truthers out there. I I'm very much blase on Bond as a character and a theme and a series. You know, I was curious, um like what the what the longest running like movie series are. So um some of these, I, I, I'm a little bit surprised. Okay, so Pink Panther, there have been 11 films spanning 1963 to 2009. Uh, they have the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 11 films. That is not correct anymore. Yeah, there's yeah, twenty. There's 20-something, right? 21 now? I don't know. Anyway. There's a good deal. There's, there's, there's more than that. And it's going to keep going to add... Yeah. Nauseum at infinitum. Uh, Friday the 13th has 12. Okay. Uh, Star Trek has 12. Um, man, this list I know is dated. Uh, Bond has 23, which I think is 20. I think this new one is 25. Sure. Uh, Godzilla has 30. And then this list, this one, I don't know what this is. Carry On has 31 films. What the hell is Carry On? Maybe it's foreign. It must be. Yeah, I'm not familiar. I I'm not familiar with that at all. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of lot of things that that are longer running, I guess, than than I had had thought. But like Bond has to span the longest amount of time, other than Godzilla. Maybe Godzilla. Probably. Yeah. But I mean, of I don't know Godzilla films. But are Godzilla's so infrequent too. Yeah. You don't have a Godzilla film every three years being turned out. Right. Like you've basically had Bond for. And let's be at honest. least, you know, Daniel Craig and Brosnan that, you know, it's basically we've had two decades now with a Bond film every three years, basically. Yeah. And Godzilla is just it's not as popular. Sure. So there's, there's well, at least too. here it's not as popular. It might be more popular overseas. That's true. That's true. They never seem to destroy America other than New York City. Other than that one where with the like Puff Daddy song. All right, let's rate this book. It's your book. You have to go first. Yeah, I am. I'm. I'm pretty blasé on it. Um, I'm not super high. It's kind of like skirting the between the bottom and middle shelf for me. Huh. Um, I enjoyed it enough to keep it, so I'm gonna put it on the bottom shelf. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna do the same. Uh, I, I think first of all. In real life, I have like a bottom shelf where I keep all of these kind of books. Okay. Um, because I just don't think they're they ever like really elevate themselves above just inter- sheer entertainment. Uh, but there's there's always a place for for a little book like this, and this one is kind of nice to just like you know pick up and blow through in a weekend, and yeah, it's an easy read. You don't have to have a lot of other like context. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I, you know the the worst thing for me in books like this where it seems like it's kind of in this subject matter and it's somewhat serialized is if the writing's bad then there's no redemption whatsoever but the writing was fine so this is something like i would approach another another book by the car i would i would do like maybe tinker taylor soldier spire maybe even check out the one he did in 2017 yeah maybe it'll have a little bit more 
uh, modernization on it. For sure. So. He's not writing at the same level of right. 1965. So I may check out something like that. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, it's a bottom shelf. That's fair. Nice little palate cleanser. Totally agree. It it uh it it definitely did the trick. Okay. We, we got we got heavy there for a couple episodes, and we got lighter. I think we're gonna stay on the lighter side. We're gonna stay gonna on the be... interesting side. This is gonna be our first venture into. Is this categorized as horror? I know I King so. writes kind of like yeah. horror thrillers, Thriller. so sometimes it's kind of if it skirts the border there. But yeah. So this is gonna be fun. This is our first ever Stephen King yep. book, which is impressive to not get into that until. Year three. Yeah. I mean, I've made it almost 34 years of my life and never read a Stephen King book. Same Z's, but a few years less. And 32. Yeah. So why not? Why not? uh, So episode 49. Yeah. We're going to do The Outsider by Stephen King. Um, Been watching the the series on HBO. It is excellent. And uh, yeah, we just were spitballing uh, last episode and like why not we haven't read stephen king yeah. uh, we haven't read anything in that like thriller horror genre and uh the show is really good so if the book is anything like it which i'm sure it's better then uh it's gonna be really enjoyable so i'm excited about that and then you are gonna you're gonna hold back on our 50th episode you're gonna wait Oof. i i kind of want to just I kind of want to just nix everything that I agreed to before the show in waiting and just name oh. the book, but I'm not going to. All right. Um, I'll be patient. But yeah, 50th episode is going to be something fun and interesting. And uh, we'll announce that maybe before the next episode, maybe during that next episode, something like that. No, we'll, we need we'll to do it out. during the episode because if if you go with what I think you're going to do, then I think people are going to need to hear my reaction. Okay. And uh, I think that'll that'll set us up just beautifully for that yeah. that episode. That'll be fun. Yeah, and then uh, and then after that, um, we're gonna do uh, a poetry collection uh, by Maggie Smith called Good Bones. Okay, so our uh, yearly our yearly yeah toe gonna, dip into poetry. Gonna, I dig it. I'm gonna probably pull out a, another another collection before the end of the year. Okay. Just try to. I, I love I love poetry so much, and uh, we just I don't know why we haven't done more than than uh, than one collection. So. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do something else as well. Um, I just I'm trying to figure out a uh, more like not. I mean, Maggie Smith is is well renowned uh, and, and a very active poet right now. But figure out somebody um, that's that's got some staying power, like you know, somebody like Robert Bly or somebody like where that the that, sidewalk ends by Shel Silverstein. Done. Yeah. yeah. Done. That's I'm, episode fifty one, folks. <laughs> Done. And we'll read a light in the attic as well. I don't know what the other ones are. Uh, I don't know either. I, I love Shel Silverstein when I was a child. Yeah, good, good, uh, good children's stuff. Yeah. But the illustrations were were like ninety percent of it too. They yeah, were a mess. Loved it. They yeah were definitely something. All right, so that is our episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, we are at Better Bookshelf. Our next episode will be on The Outsider by Stephen King. Thanks for listening, and until next time. 